Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. If you've been with us over the uh, last several uh, weeks and months as we've taken a look at this book of Ecclesiastes, and as I've been studying it, one of the words that I think could well describe Solomon as he experiences life, as he achieves his goals, as he drives towards these uh, things that he thinks will make him satisfied, one of the words that I think uh, describes him well is the word frustrated. He seems frustrated, frustrated with life, frustrated with how he thought this would be so great, and yet he seems still so unsatisfied and lacking in fulfillment. You know, I just kind of picture Solomon as the man, no matter how much he sleeps, he's always tired. You ever been that way? You wake up in the morning, you had a long night's sleep, and you wake up and you're still tired. And then, you know, you go all day, you're tired, and you just hope, you know what, if I go home and get some sleep, get some rest and wake up, I'll be good. And then tomorrow you wake up and you're tired again. And imagine living life that way. You do all of the sleep and yet you're still tired. Imagine, you know, being so thirsty and drinking glass of water after glass of water and still being thirsty and being hungry and eating and eating and eating and never finding satisfaction there. That kind of seems to describe Solomon well. He's doing all of these things that he thought would satisfy, and yet he's just as hungry as before, just as empty as he was before. And that's leaving him frustrated, frustrated with his life, frustrated with what he's doing. And life can be frustrating. Our work can be frustrating. Our own feelings can be frustrating. Other people can be frustrating. There's a lot of frustrations in life That's why God desires that we look to wisdom. Wisdom will help us find satisfaction in times of frustration. You'll kind of see what he's indicating here in verse number one. Who is the wise man and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine and the boldness of his face shall be changed. You see that his complexion and his disposition is changed when he grows in wisdom. It changes from one of frustration and just, you know, arrogance and all of these things that Solomon had in his heart to one of a different kind of disposition. And so I want to ask you the question this morning, are you frustrated today? Do you find yourself frustrated in life? Do you find yourself frustrated in some of these different areas? You might find yourself frustrated in your home. Maybe you're frustrated in, 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 in your marriage. You're frustrated with your, you know, uh, as parents and children and find it frustrating. Maybe you're going to work and finding that frustrating. Maybe just in general, you, you see your kind of financial situation and you feel frustrated. You're working so hard and you feel like you're never getting ahead or Maybe just in your heart, you don't even really know what it is, but you're just feeling frustrated. And you're not even really sure why. And maybe if somebody were to poke around, you would not really be able to identify it. But just ask yourself this question. Are you frustrated? Frustrated in your heart? Well, Solomon's going to give a few specific examples and explain how wisdom can help us find satisfaction in the frustrating situations in life. The first of which is the frustration of differing conclusions, differing conclusions. 
In verse number two, he says, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. So he's laying out a situation here. The situation is this. Obviously, somebody who is a servant to the king is told to do something by the king, but he disagrees with it, right? Because obviously, he, if he agreed with it, there would be no problem, right? If the king says, we should do this, and the servant says, I agree, we should do that, no problem. But in this situation, here is a, a man, and he disagrees with the king, and he says uh, to this man, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment. It's easy to say yes when we're thinking yes, but will we say yes when we're thinking no? <laughs> I don't want to do that thing. I think that's the wrong thing. I think we should do something different. Now, of course, when it comes to sin, we always need to follow God. Peter makes it clear in the New Testament, we ought to obey God rather than men. But not everything is a matter of right and wrong. Not everything is a matter of sin. Not everything is a matter of black and white. And what about those areas in which you disagree? Specifically here, he's talking about somebody who disagrees with his government authority. And we might take this to other areas as well. But what do we do or what could we do to try to grow in wisdom in this situation? Well, you see that his counsel is to keep the king's commandment and that in regard of the oath of God. One thing I notice about the wise is the wise sit in their seat. It's so tempting to think about trying to sit in somebody else's seat. I want to go over there. I want to, I want to sit in that person's seat. But Solomon counsels this man, stay in your seat. You have a seat and I want you to stay there because we have an oath to God. We have an obligation before the Lord. Romans chapter 13 says this, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. See, God makes it very clear that we have an obligation before the Lord and that obligation leads us in our relationship with others, in this case, with the authority. Now, notice that he doesn't say that you always have to agree with your authority. You can disagree with your authority. You can say, you know what, I don't know if that's, the, that's what I would do. I don't know if I agree with that. And here's the reasons why. You don't have to agree with the authority, but we have an obligation in obedience to God to, the, to be subject to the higher powers. Now, that is in contrast with the natural reaction to disagreement with authority. And he gives them in verse number two, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment and that regard of the oath of God, be not hasty to go out of his sight and stand not in an evil thing. There's all sorts of natural responses when you disagree. The first of which is, of course, disobedience. You're telling me to do this and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do something else. 
I'm going to do what I want to do. That's a very natural reaction. Another reaction is one of desertion. desertion. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. You know, sometimes you'll see people say, oh, I forgot, you know, I forgot, I, you know, I'll get around to it. And then you follow up with them. Oh, I forgot, you know, and I forgot is a convenient way of saying this is not important enough to me or I disagree with what you're doing. And so I'm just not going to do it. Sometimes that can be the case. They forgot because they didn't want to do it. And that can happen in many cases. Sometimes it can be demonstrated in disruption. Maybe you're going to do it, but you're going to drag your feet and you're going to complain and you're going to criticize and you're going to let everybody know about how you disagree and you're just being forced to do the thing and, and uh, doing it half-heartedly. That, that can be some of the very common responses when there's a disagreement. When I have a, a boss, I have my authority and I disagree and he concludes by saying this in verse number three, for he doeth, the king doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power or authority. We might use that. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? And whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. Now, Solomon is not saying, just keep your head down, kid. You know, don't cause trouble. You know, I know it's wrong, but you know, just that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the king having authority can do what he wants, and nobody can say to the king, what do you think you're doing? Because he could just say, well, I'm being the king. I'm doing what kings do. We decide, and we do. But if you're not the king, and you go against the king, how can you answer the question, what do you think you're doing? The king said this, and you're doing that. What is the response? We have no response. What can I say? I, I'm being told to do this. I disagree and I'm going to do something different. Now, the temptation is to think that if we could just be in their place and we could get our way, then all would be well. We can be envious of the position of another. If I could just be the one to make decisions. And you see that all over the place. You see that in the workplace, employees trying to usurp the authority over their boss, maybe skipping their authority and going to his boss and, you know, trying to manipulate the situation to get them on their side. And, and uh, all sorts of different uh, politics can happen in the workplace. It can happen in the home. It can happen with wives and their husbands. It can happen with children and their parents. It can happen in all sorts of different places. It can happen in the church as well. But everybody has their own seat. And the wise make sure that they're watching their own seat. And sometimes we can be eyeing what other people are doing more than what we are doing. I went to college in, uh, at the University of Washington. I grew up, many of you know, in the Seattle area, and that was the major college there in the area. And uh, so I studied, and uh, so uh, I went to college there. I was, you know, doing my uh, work, and I, I joined up with one of these, uh, you know, on-campus Christian groups and things like that. And uh, so I became friends with some of these uh, people and doing different things. And so they would have different activities. I lived in the area, obviously, but a lot of people were from different states and things like that. I met people from Hawaii. I met people from uh, Korea. I met people from all over the country and different places. And so, you know, they would try to do things for the college students. 
students. And so, uh, you know, they would have different activities like during Thanksgiving time, they would have different things for these college students and they would have uh, just different programs and they would have different nights out and activities, they would rent out places. And, and uh, you know, we, uh, a bunch of us like soccer, so we joined the intramural soccer uh, program there. And so we had some games. And uh, one of the things that they did was uh, they played uh, flag football. And uh, so I think this was during th around Thanksgiving time. And so uh, we were playing flag football. And uh, so I was on one team, obviously, and the, you know, the other team was over there. And, and uh, I was, uh, I was uh, playing you know, defensive back. You, know? you have the wide receivers, they run out, and the quarterback throws the ball to those wide receivers. And I'm trying to stop that. You know? And uh, so I'm playing, and I'm doing pretty well. And, uh, but there's one guy on my team who's on the other side of the field. He's kind of struggling a little bit. You know? He's not doing quite so well. And uh, you know, he's maybe not quite as quick as the guy across from him. And so uh, you know, I made a suggestion. I said, hey, you know, why, don't, why don't you two switch? And they kind of looked at me a little bit funny. You know? And I was like, oh, you know, it's just a suggestion. And you know, I was you know, looking around. You know? And uh, the very next play, the wide receiver right across from me just ran a straight go route to the end zone. He didn't run this here and there. He just ran straight that way and ran right by me. The quarterback threw him the ball. He caught it, touchdown. And I remember being so embarrassed. And that guy was like, on my team, was saying, that's right. And he was looking right at me. And I remember being so humiliated. And I remember thinking, I 100% deserve what he's saying because I wasn't doing my job. How could I look at him and say, hey, you're not doing your job, you should be doing this when I'm not doing my job. And the wise always make sure that they're doing their job. Because everybody could look around and say, well, that brother should be doing this, and this sister should be doing that, and somebody else should be doing something different. But it's often so hard for us to even notice what we're doing or what we're not doing. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. You know, he's not saying maybe the other guy doesn't have any problems. What he's saying is if you would take care of your area of life first, then you would be able to really help somebody else. But so oftentimes we want to fix other people before we take care of ourselves. And in all sorts of different situations, the, the way that people could think is a husband might think, well, if my wife would just do this, this, and that, then everything would be great. Or the, uh, the wife, on the other hand, well, if my husband would just make these changes, then, then I would be able to do these things. Or children with their parents and all sorts of things. It's, it can be so easy to know what everybody else is doing, but the wise make sure I'm going to stay focused on my position. And that will help us. The wise also set a good schedule in verse number five. Whoso keepeth the commandments shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? What Solomon is saying is the wise are patient. They give it time in those decisions. 
Sometimes something can seem so great, and then in the long term, everybody can realize, you know what, that wasn't the right thing. And sometimes we want to step in, but sometimes time and judgment can be the greatest teacher. A great lesson for us is to be patient, to be patient, to wait our opportunity to be able to help those in authority, those that are, might be your boss, somebody that might be over you, to know when is the right time to be able to help them is wise. Verse number eight, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. So what's interesting is think about Solomon as he's writing, and he's writing here in chapter number eight, and he says in verse number two, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, right? Who is the king here in this situation? The king is Solomon. Solomon is writing. He's writing to somebody or about somebody underneath him, right? Okay, now imagine this situation where he's, he's pretty clearly talking about somebody underneath him. And then he says, the day of death does not pass anybody. Every one of us passes away. It's almost like what he's saying is to his son, I'm the king and you're not. One day you will be king, but that time is not here yet. Wait for your time. Solomon would have known well about the foolishness of being hasty to grab the throne. Because think about his father. His father was David. And think about David's own sons. Absalom tried to take the throne. Adonijah tried to take the throne. They tried to take the throne. And what ended up happening? They both ended up losing their lives. They were hasty in it. If they would have been patient, they might have been able to take the throne. And uh, we don't know exactly. Maybe Absalom would have taken the throne. But obviously, he died early. And there's a great lesson there about us being patient. One day it will be your time, you know, as a kid, you know, if you're a teenager or you're a young kid, you know, it can be, you know, you might get impatient. I can't wait until I get out and make my own decisions. Well, be patient, you know, take that time to learn and to grow because the wise see their own simplicity. There are so many times when we don't know that we don't know, that we don't even know that we don't know. And uh, verse number nine gives it this way. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time where one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. Now we all understand about bad rulers doing hurtful things to those under them. But we don't often think about how those that rule poorly make decisions to their own hurt. And Solomon is almost saying, I, I think you need to be patient because you don't even know that if you were to make these decisions, it would not just be a bad decision, it would hurt you. You're the one that would be hurting. And the temptation can be, if I were just there, then it would be so great not realizing we might make decisions to our own hurt. 
it reminds me of uh, this story that I heard uh, about uh, the Mexican government a few years ago. They had a program to encourage people to plant more trees. And uh, so in 2019, they began to roll out this program. And the, and the idea was, uh, we want to do some of these things and we'll plant more trees. It'll be good for the environment. We'll give out this you know, financial uh, incentive and stimulate the economy. We'll help these poor people that don't have enough money and they'll grow these trees. And it's a win-win for everybody. We'll have more trees. Uh, these people that need money will get some more money and uh, everything will be great. And they thought that it would be a wonderful idea. The problem was that uh, the trees that already existed did not qualify for this financial incentive. They didn't get any money for the trees already existing. So you know what the farmers did? They plowed up all of the trees on their property and planted these new little ones because the old trees didn't get them any money from the government. And so they said, well, we have no space for trees. So they cleared out these forests in order to plant these little trees and get money. It's estimated that the program actually resulted in 280 square miles of less forest than before the program. You know, I don't know what these politicians were thinking, but they thought this is a great idea when it did the exact opposite of what they were trying to do. And so oftentimes people in the Bible thought, you know what, I'm making such a great decision. And it, they made that decision to their own hurt. Think about Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam became king. He became king and the people came to him and said, your dad, Solomon, he really taxed us really heavy and we would like to have a lower tax rate. Right? It's the common cry of people in go under government, right? We want lower taxes, right? And that's what they were saying too. We want lower taxes. And so uh, Rehoboam says, let me think about it. Give me a couple of days. And so he goes to his father's counselors and say, what do you think we should do? And, he, and they said, boy, if you do this, they will love you forever. They will be behind you for the rest of your life. And he said, okay. And he went to his friends and his, his, the friends that he had growing up. And he said, what do you guys think? He said, no, this is where you show them who's boss. And uh, you tell them if you thought Solomon's taxes were heavy, you don't know anything. Just wait and see till you see what I do. And uh, he went out there and he told the people that, and everybody says, we want nothing to do with you. And most of the country left and formed their own country under Jeroboam, and Rehoboam was left with just one tribe out of 12. He thought, you know what, if I were just boss, I could make the decisions, but he did it to his own hurt. And that can be frustrating in life. And wisdom helps us to avoid those situations. The second frustration that we see is the frustration of delayed consequences. In verse number 10, he continues, And so I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had done so. This is also vanity. What Solomon's saying is, Here is a man that was wicked, and he got buried in a place of prominence and was forgotten about. It seems like he got away with doing bad, right? And that can be frustrating because it's frustrating when you're trying to do right and somebody else is doing bad and they seem to be getting away with it, right? You go to the workplace, your boss says, all right, this is a new thing. This is what we're going to do. And you want to you wanna do the right thing. You're going to try to follow your boss. And you're trying to follow the script that he gave. And you see your other, uh, other coworkers, you know, they're, they're cutting corners and they're skipping out. And, you know, they're not really doing what they're supposed to be doing. You feel like that's, 
that's not right. That's not fair. And you get frustrated over that situation. You know, you might get frustrated, uh, you know, little kids at home, you know, parents say, mom says, you know, clean up your toys. And, you know, one kid is cleaning up and the other one's not cleaning up. And, and uh, one's trying to do the right thing and the other one's having fun and playing. And, you know, and uh, it seems like, hey, that's not fair. That can be frustrating. And the temptation in delayed consequences is, you know what, if they're getting away with it, then why don't I just do what they're doing? Because maybe I'll get away with it too. Verse number 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because people see that wickedness is not punished right away, they are tempted to do the same thing. Hey, can I have my cake and eat it too? I can skip out on my responsibilities and get away with it as well. That's a temptation. But of course, we know that that is not right. We know it's not right. Giving in to temptation is not the answer. Verse 12, though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him, but it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. So what Solomon says is, don't worry, God knows what is happening and he will make sure what is right will be rewarded and what is wrong will be punished. Proverbs chapter 11, though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. Proverbs chapter 16, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So that's the temptation. Now, it's hard to be patient, right? The prayer of so many could be, God, give me patience and give it to me now. You know, that's the way that we want. We want everything now. But there is a realization over delayed consequences, something that will help us in the frustration, because we can think somebody's getting away with that, and I feel frustrated that I'm doing the right thing, but somebody else is getting away with that. Verse 14, there is a vanity which is done upon the earth that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. He says it seems like people get away with things on this earth. But as Christians, we know that it is not ending here on earth. There is more to come. There is an end. The end is not even when we die. There is a real end. Psalm 73, there's a lot of verses here. They'll be on the screen, but I want you to follow along as the psalmist writes, and he just kind of pours out his heart, and you sense this similar frustration in his heart that Solomon had of, I'm doing what is right, but other people are doing wrong, and they're getting away with that, and I feel frustrated that I'm doing this. Verse number two, but as for me, my feet were, well almost, were almost gone. My, uh, my steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
he saw that the wicked seem to be getting away with it. They're prospering in their wickedness. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are no, not in troubles as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression and they speak loftily. I mean, can you sense the psalmist as he's writing, looking over at the wicked and thinking, look at all that they're getting away with. And he says in verse number 12, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. So I'm trying to do what's right, but every morning I feel like God's disciplining me, God's dealing with me, and I, I face the bad consequences of what I do. But look at them, they're getting away with that. Verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely, Thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Do you know what he's saying? Is He's saying they're on the road to destruction, and I'm glad I'm not on that road. Because while you're on the road, it might seem like everything's great, everything's fine, but the end is destruction, and I need to remember that. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast. I was thinking like an animal before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with me. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to, God, near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. The psalmist is saying, you know what? I was so frustrated for a little while until I remembered what God told me. You know, I hope that as we come together in church that, and hear the word of God, that we are reminded of some of these truths. And as we are reminded of these truths, that it will help us in the frustrations of life. When you see somebody else and it seems like they're getting away with it, to remember that, you know what? God sees it and God knows Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says the, talks about the ultimate judgment. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. We're not just talking about consequences for being late to work or not forgiving a friend. We're talking about ultimately consequences from sinning against God. And there are consequences that are coming. And some people might live their lives. They may reject the word of God and think that they're getting away with it, but... God will ultimately call them to the stand and bring forth their works and judge them according to their own works. But God says, I don't want you to face that because that is eternal destruction. And God loved us so much that he sent his son on the cross to die for our sins so that we might escape that judgment. 
God died on the cross and paid the penalty so that we might be saved, so that we might escape that judgment. And it would be wise for us to trust in the Lord while there is time, to trust the word of God, to understand what he says about our sins, that all have sinned to come short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we might be saved. You don't have to live life in frustration. You can know that you are free in the Lord. Thirdly, what we see is the frustration of deficient comprehension. Verse number 15 says, Then I commended mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry, for that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. You ever hear the phrase, as long as you're happy? Ever hear somebody say something like that? Oh, whatever, do what, whatever makes you happy. Go, go for it. It seems like Solomon is saying that. You know why he's saying that? In verse number 16, it says, When I apply my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night see asleep with his eyes, then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, Yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Solomon confesses, I've spent my whole life chasing after knowledge, and now that I'm here at the end, I still can't figure it out. And none of us will be able to figure it out. There will always be things in life that to us don't make sense. You know, it's easy to obey when we understand right? When we get it. When I get it and I understand it, it's easy to obey, right? When I know what's going on. But there will be times when I don't understand. I don't understand, God, why you're doing this. God, I don't understand why you're asking me to move in this direction. God, I don't understand why you're calling me to this ministry, to do this thing, to go out and witness to that person, there will be times when we don't understand. What do we do when we don't understand and when we don't get it? When you're trying to see what God is doing, but it still doesn't make sense. When I was in college, I tutored math to uh, middle school and high school students, and uh, I was tutoring them algebra and geometry and things like that. And, you know, you have all these formulas, formulas for finding out the, you know, the hypotenuse, how, finding out this angle, finding out how to solve for X, you know, all of these things. And, you know, I had a book that I would use and I would teach them, you know, one lesson at a time, go through it, have them practice, take some homework home, bring it back. I would check it and do all of these things. And, you know, I'd do my very best to try to explain it to them. This is what, you know, this is, this is a formula, this is a situation, this is how you solve it. And, uh, you know, most of the time it was, you know, I had pretty bright kids, and so, you know, most of the time they understood it, but every once in a while they would not get it, right? I, I think all of us, when we were in school, we all had times where, you know, we know what the teacher was saying, and we know that what they were saying was right, but we didn't get it, right? We didn't understand it. I don't understand why, why this works. And I've been in, there in that situation as well, and uh, I remember going to, uh, to college and taking certain math classes. You know, I was a, kind of a, on the mathy science end of things, and, uh, but still, I went to certain classes and I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand how statistics work. 
works, and I don't understand how matrix algebra works. I don't understand some of these things. And so I remember being in some of these similar situations. I was teaching him, you know, the, the, these students, and you know, you try this way, they don't get it. And so you try another way, they don't get it. You try to use another illustration, and they don't get it. And after a while, I just had to say, I didn't know what else to say other than, all right, you just have to trust me on this, that it works. Whether you understand it or not, it will work. Just remember, in this situation, you use this formula and you'll get the right answer, okay? I know you don't get it. I'm trying to help you and you're, you're not there yet. One day you will get it, hopefully. But even if you don't, just remember, in this problem, this formula gives you the right answer. That's what you have to remember. And sometimes we can go through life and think, God, I don't get it. God, what are you doing? God, how could this be? I don't understand. I mean, think about the life of Joseph. Joseph's life is about what in the world is going on in my life? Joseph is the favorite son of his father, obviously, and his brothers didn't like it. God gave Joseph these dreams that all of your older brothers will bow down to you. Even your mom, your, your dad, your parents will bow down to you as well. And uh, everybody took that to be like, hey, what's going on here? The custom and the culture was obviously the elder would rule over the younger. And so here is Joseph. He's really at the bottom, and uh, he's going to be at the top ruling over the elder. That's backwards, and his older brothers didn't like it. Oh, you think you're going to jump over all of us? I don't think so. There's 10 of us and one of you. <laughs> and uh, one day they sold him into slavery. God, what are you doing? You, you said that I would be ruling. God, you, you, you gave me this promise that this is what, is, what would happen. And now I'm, I'm a slave. I was sold into slavery. And he goes to Egypt and he serves Potiphar. And he maintains a positive spirit. I, all of us, I think, could easily have said, you know what, that would be beyond frustrating for us to be in that situation. And yet Joseph continues to be faithful. He has a positive attitude. He works hard, tries to do the right thing. Potiphar's wife lies about him, slanders him, gets him thrown in jail. Now he's not just in a foreign country. Now he's not just a slave in a foreign country. Now he's in prison as a slave in a foreign country. All of us would have thought, God, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Now, God had a reason for all of those things, didn't he? Now, we know the end of the story, right? What was the end of the story? The end of the story was that there was going to be a famine coming and God had to put Joseph next to Pharaoh so that he could save those people and also save his family, right? We know that. We know that that's what God was going to do. That's how God was going to fulfill his promise. God knew all of those things, but in the middle of it, none of it made sense. And many times in our lives, in the middle of it, nothing will make sense. But we don't have to know how it makes sense. All we have to know is God says, in this situation, you do these things and you'll get the right answer. When you're faced with a problem, you don't have to understand why or how. Just understand what God has said, what God wants for us to do, and we will be able to know in the end, all things will work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, it's easy when we understand. It's hard when in the middle we're like, what in the world is going on? 
One author puts it this way, the person who has to know everything or thinks he knows everything is destined for disappointment in this world. So every one of us is going to face situations where we don't get it and we don't understand and we wonder why and we're asking God, God, what do you think that you're doing? I don't get it. And the temptation is to take things out of God's hands. The temptation is to try to make it make sense. But if we only obey when we understand, then we have become fools. The wise know that there is no way we can understand. We can't understand God. We're just people, and God is God. And we can't understand how God does what he does, or when he does what he does, or why he does what he does. But we can be satisfied knowing, I don't know when or how or why, but I know what God is doing. God wants me to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. God is building up his church. God is reaching people with the gospel. God wants us to be an example and a testimony of the Lord. And I might not know all of the reasons why or how all of this works really, but I'll know what God is trying to do in the end. If I simply follow the word of God and I just trust him, that will help solve so many of the frustrations that we face in life.